welcome to the Global Inquirer's Mid-Season Review. I'm your host, Nick Mortensen. The Global Inquirer is an undergraduate research podcast that takes a look at case studies to see how global trends are affecting real lives. Today, I'm sitting down with our tech director, Andy Carluccio, to talk about the season so far and the challenges, triumphs, and hijinks we've all gotten through. Let's get right into it. Well, thanks, Nick, for having me on. Uh, it's a little bit weird for me to be on this side of the mics, but I'm really happy to be here to talk about some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that we do here. Just to give our audience some context, the way that we work here at Global Inquirer is a three-phase production cycle. So we'll have a week of pre-production, a week of studio production where we're actually doing recording, and then a week of post-production where we're laying out episodes, cutting it together. I'm doing sound edits and things like that. And we release on the Sunday following so that we can get you guys the best sounding podcast every single week. We spread that out over three phases. And at any given week, we're working on three episodes at a time. So you'll hear us probably reference that production cycle template a lot during our overview. In Venezuela, since most of these acts are happening in the territorial waters of Venezuela, there's not really much of a role that the international government can play. It would kind of be on the onus of the Venezuelan government to reach out and if they considered their own forces to be inadequate, to request international help in combating the matter. One of the biggest challenges I personally had as host was our very first episode, which was the episode in Venezuela, where, yeah, I only had one set of content to really deal with. I mean, pre-production, it was just that episode and everything else. Like, you would thought it'd be easier, but... That was the first time, at least for me, when I was acting as a host and I had to go through the research, I had to go through work the person and I'd say, oh yeah, that's enough. That's good. We could structure it that way. And just for the first time in a while, and I guess the first time having my my own episode content wise, just organizing all that as a host, it's just, it's so much harder than you actually think it is. Yeah, it is definitely. Once you get behind the mic and it's all on you and you don't have that support structure anymore, it's it's definitely like taking that brave step to getting everything out there. But Poverty and Plunder, I thought went over really well. Um, on my end of things, it was our first chance to use our new studio gear that we got for this season. And that's been really helpful for me. We got, uh, we started using our new soundboard and got two new condenser mics that we've been using all season. And then all sorts of cabling for that. It's a three amp recording system. So it's been really great. And it's allowed me to do a lot of really interesting stuff with the audio and processing. Prior to this point, as you know, we'd been out of Clem and recording studio every week. So that was a, for those of you who are not familiar, it's a rental based system where we'd show up there and we'd be able to use that studio space and we'd record on the weekends and then we would process that audio following. The only problem with that is there are a bunch of people who would be there between our recording sessions and it would change the settings of the mics a lot. So it was very hard to get a consistent sound profile. And one of the ways that when you're working in a podcast format, you have to establish spatial relationships because you don't have the benefit of a camera to show you where people are is to have the same sound signature for everybody based on their location. So if you and I are in the same room, we should sound the same. If we have a guest interview, they should sound different than we do because presumably they're not with us. And so we have to use the shape of sound. And these new condenser mics have been really helpful for getting that consistency in studio, both for each episode individually and then between episodes to sort of give ourselves a distinct sound signature. I mean, even going beyond that, you know, of all technical stuff, our first recording setup in Clem was never particularly fun because not only would we be spending 10 to 15 minutes just reorganizing wires, redoing knobs, you know, getting the audio set up, we're in these little recording booths that had little to no circulation. So after about 10 minutes, it would get really, really hot in there. So, you know, it could be the dead of winter, you know, we're sitting there with a the researcher or with the host when Nico was still in charge and, you know, you'd be sweating. It's 30 degrees outside, you've been here 15 minutes, and all you're doing is talking about politics, but here you are, you know, you're sitting in here sweating bullets because you're in this foam-enclosed room that has maybe about 
two to three square foot of space for two to three people. So, no, the new setup here is so much better. And I think one of the things I appreciate most about Poverty and Plunder is just being able to sit in here, stretch out my legs, and not be, you know, sticking my hand in the researcher's chin because there's no other room. So, no, I'm very glad we're here, too. It seems like sanctions does play into this general trend of closing channels, both economic and political, between the United States and Russia. I think it's important to not overlook what the spark for all of these sanctions and issues can be, and the fact that media coverage is actually influential. I think we live in a, in a time where media coverage isn't as valuable as it has been in generations past, so it's really dangerous to kind of overlook the simple power of a story of something that you didn't really know about before. And speaking of fun relations with researchers, that brings us into sanctioned soccer and scandal. And I love working with the researchers on the podcast. Katya and Walter are really, really great at what they do. And I had a lot of fun working on the episode. But Katya rolled up and she is not necessarily on death's door, but is quite sick throughout the entire phase. And here we are, like Andy and I are sitting here. She's trying to say her bit, but every about 10 to 15 seconds, it's interspersed with like coughing bits and stuff. And Andy's just sitting here looking completely mortified. Like, what, what do we do? And I'm just sitting here. It's like, okay, you know, do what you need to do. This is part of the creative cycle. I am here for you. You're not dying. Kata didn't want to stop. And uh, who am I to tell her to stop? So we, we got through it. And, you know, every 20 seconds, we'd have to stop there, restart. But hey, it was a lot of fun going through that. Yeah, I mean, and you know that during the post-production phase, we're going to be able to redact all of those weird moments. So my thought was if Katya was feeling well enough to do it, let's go ahead and try to make it work. The weird thing is when you're wearing a headset uh, in a recording setting, you have this very, very flat sound profile so you can hear everything really, really loudly so that you know if you have to make adjustments to bass or timber during the recording session. Well, anyway, when somebody coughs, you hear that in like four dimensions of sound. So it was very much like a, an audio assault um, during that episode. Because the World Cup is the type of competition that um, kind of deflates interest in terms of international humanitarian aid. Can you say um, kind of deflates interest one more time? <coughs> kind of deflates interest. Uh, one more time. Kind of deflates interest in terms of international uh, foreign aid. It was it was nice to have the confidence that knowing that the gear was properly balanced and that we would be able to piece that together. Now that episode also was the first time that this specific recording setup had been used to record three people at once, despite only having two mics in the system. And that was something that I had to kind of figure out for the first time. We had done it before, but we never were able to get all three people sounding the same. But it was interesting to look at the way that these condenser mics could be configured to capture a wider gamut of sound, to be able to pull in voices without bringing in too much echo. We had um, anti-echo paneling put up on the walls for that episode to reduce the effect of distance being added between the mics. And I thought we were able to walk away with, again, that really consistent sound profile that we were trying to hit, despite obstacles from sickness and just the spatial relationships of the room. I mean, it is worth noting that this was the time when I realized that if I got really close to the mic and just did something weird, Andy would hear all of it. So ever since then, it's just kind of been me trying to work seriously with the researchers, being a good role model, being a good leader, interspersed with my desires to make Andy's life a living hell as much as possible. <laughs> I mean, I do nothing to destroy the equipment, but if I'm going to go up there and, like, you know, whisper really weird or kind of, you know, brush my finger against the mic because he wants to hear that in four dimensions, you know, what, what's stopping me? It's, it's all in good fun. But beyond that, this was also the time I realized that you don't need to have a 30 to 40 minute meeting on everything to feel special about yourself. 
in pre-production when Katya, Walter, and I would all sit down, it would very much be we'd find a table in one of the academic buildings. They'd tell me what they had planned. They'd tell me what they wanted to do. I would give them like one or two extra things to get done by a deadline. You know, email this person want to interview, get me the source here. And we'd be out in maybe five to ten minutes at most. So it's just for when I realized that the process doesn't need to take forever. A lot of this is kind of on the individual prerogative of the researchers. And I'm just here to keep the deadlines intact and make sure everything is on the right track. So, you know, the number of times where we're sitting in a room talking at each other is really kind of limited to when we're recording in studio and a couple staff meetings we have a few times a semester. Who should take up the burden? Who needs to take the time to sort it? Is it the everyday individual's responsibility or is it the recycling company's responsibility? And so that can come down to maybe we need to rethink our infrastructure. Maybe we need to rethink the way it sorts things. Maybe there's a better way that we can do that so then you will actually get those profit makers separated from your just recyclables. That's another idea because, again, you're asking either a few companies to change the way they do things or thousands upon millions of people to change the way they get rid of their waste. And episode three, not your middle school recycling presentation with Roma and Tyler, the most fun to be had there was uh, pretty much uh, the recording and the post-production because I love Tyler and Roma to death. I really do. Really great. Re- Everyone on the team is wonderful and great, and they do their jobs more so than I could expect or ever hope for. Except when Tyler gave us a two-hour interview where the sound was about 40 decibels lower than it should have been. And trying to listen to that interview with my headphones in, you know, my computer volume is turned all the way up and I still can't quite hear this. That that was something special. Yeah, that that whole recording system, that was a really interesting week of studio production because we had two interviews conducted on site, our in-studio recording session, just a bunch of mixing throughout of all, all of that. So essentially I was working and I heard from Tyler that we had an opportunity to go out to the recycling plant and actually get some on location recording done. And that was a really interesting opportunity for us, A, visually because of the promos that we release and getting some actual camera footage about this process that might be more difficult to communicate in a podcast only way. So that was a good opportunity for us to jump on that, but also to get some more audio that could fill in some holes ahead of our recording session that is usually on Sunday. So we went out there and this is a situation where when you are in a on-location recording environment, you have to be very much not in the way of the actual conversation. You're just trying to capture what's organically happening. You can't mic people. You can't set conditions, ask people to repeat themselves. You just have to set the best settings you can and move on. And so that was the circumstance that Tyler was in when I was not able to be with him. He was recording, I think uh, Sonny was his name, to talk about the recycling system at UVA. And, and that interview was obviously really important because it's connected very closely to the Charlottesville community, the majority of our listener base. But I got that clip back from him, and it was literally 40 decibels too low. Um, there were just some missed settings on, the, on our Tascam handheld recorder. And for me, this was an opportunity to see <laughs> how much recovery could be done in post-processing. And I think if you go back and look at the episode, we can play a sample of what the audio sounded like before processing. And afterwards, um, we started our programs in 1989. Um, there was also the question of when we were on location, we had wind and we had, 
you know, cars going off and we had also and, and literally trash compressors, you know, actuating in the background. How you recover those important clips and just get the voice across while also giving enough context that you can understand kind of spatially where you are. Um, that was a big challenge for that episode. It took a lot of time to get it all together. Um, but it was also a lot of fun. It was a great chance to play around, especially with the promo. And when the episode was all cut together, I thought we had a pretty consistent sound and we were able to communicate the important points without any limitations of audio gear getting in the way. And no, this episode in particular was a magical time for me post-production-wise because I find the thing that Andy really doesn't like when I use the wrong type of audio on the rough cut. So um, Andy does a lot of work. After we record, he goes back and creates masters, which are essentially the improved... I mean, Andy, can you explain that process? Right. So when audio comes right off of the board, there's an opportunity for noise to come in there. And noise typically will come in either from electrical static on the line, ambient noise in the room. And then there's also the effect of how a voice is recorded. Um, certain wavelengths of the voice might not come across correctly. It might require some vocal processing. And those are, there are a lot of digital tools I can use to improve that. But at the same time, I need to be able to get the raw audio uploaded quickly so that the researchers can get a chance to figure out what parts of the content should advance to the to the rough cut and then eventually to the podcast that you guys listen to. So we kind of have two things happening in parallel here. We have the raw audio being worked on for content purposes because it's good enough for you to hear what's being said. And then I'm mastering the audio. And ideally what happens is I upload the mastered audio files at the same time as the researchers have wrapped up advancing parts to the rough cut. So that way, Nick, when you go to cut the rough cut together, you're using the mastered audio files instead of the raw audio files so that we can use them anytime we're working in our premiere environment. However, that has not always been the case. Uh, yeah, no. So uh, there have been a few times uh, where I did not use the mastered audio for the rough cut and Andy had to go back and realize that I had created significant portion more work for him because he had to go back find the audio that i used from the raw audio find where it's supposed to be in the mastered because the timestamps between the two audios not always the same yeah exactly because like yeah. one minute and 12 seconds what's being said on that in the raw file is not necessarily what's being said on the mastered file so if there's a there's a time discrepancy there the whole episode's shot <laughs> yeah gotta start over so, and you know so I, i'd be working on other work you know I, I was very proud of myself because i thought you know i had I the rough cut in by i think it was wednesday or thursday afternoon you know he had plenty of time to work on it we're gonna be great you know so andy then messages me very unhappy at me the fact that i used the wrong audio great more work for him yeah, so since then, we've had uh, minor progress in using the correct audio. The number of times he's had to correct me or check with me to make sure that I'm using the right audio at the right time is a little bit ridiculous, seeing as I should know this stuff. I'm ostensibly somewhat college-educated and can follow instructions, but hey, you know, we're here. We do what we can. Uh, the most fun I had that week, though, is that I was stressed out of my mind because we're trying to figure out housing and some other academic stuff. Then the promo for the recycling episode came out, and I just see our logo going on a garbage truck, and at that point, everything was fine. I don't know why you decided to do that, but you, you told me you were, you did it, and oh my goodness. Yeah, I have a lot of fun with those promos. Um, it's a chance for me to sort of stretch my legs artistically in a visual way, which is a lot of where my training comes from. And I saw that truck drive by me, and I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to put the logo on the side of the truck, and I'm going to map it. And I spent two hours going pixel by pixel, frame by frame, making sure that thing was lined up properly. And cutting most of it because I couldn't get it to go properly, but uh, for the for the promo that we did end up releasing, I was very proud of that little truck scene there. 
we see the animals on planet Earth and we're in awe, but if you're actually living with exotic animals, they could kill you, they could ruin your farms, they could do a lot of things to you. So they're not as in awe of these creatures as we are. And these animals frequently trample um, fields, ruin crops, uh, all sorts of disasters, which leave the local community members without another source of income, and another source of food. One thing that I will say through every recording session is that the transitions are always the hardest part, going from idea to idea or concept to concept. And speaking of bad transitions, that brings us to episode four, which is Hunting for Solutions. And this one was a lot of fun. Uh, one, just because the concept was a fairly novel subject to cover. But two, the pre-production phase that week was entirely too easy. Where I met with Anna and Emmy, we sat down, we talked stuff over, we had some potential people to interview lined up. I said, okay, email these guys, but you know, get ready, because they, they never answer. Because one thing to know is that by far one of the hardest things that we do week to week is finding someone to interview. And the people we talk to are all wonderful, great at their fields, excel at what they do and what they talk about, and they've been an absolute pleasure to work with. But because they're good at their jobs, they're busy. These are professionals who have journalistic, academic, policy lives to live. And the chances that our schedule week to week happens to line up with them is never quite assured. So we always get a lot more no's than we get yeses. But in this one case, this was the exception because Emmy just reached out to somebody from National Geographic and she replied within 24 hours said, yeah, sure. Good to go. Let's do it. And at that point, I didn't quite know what to do just because the interview was planned. The content was good to go. So at that point, I kind of threw up my feet. You know, we were there, uh, did the interview and everything, got everything there. But just I was taken aback by, out of all the episodes, how easy it was to get great content, get a great interview. It was all going wonderfully until I then used the wrong audio again uh, during the post-cut. And Andy and I, when I was back home, had to figure out what the heck I was trying to say, where the heck the stuff was supposed to be. So, you know, I always had self-sabotage to some extent. It, it can never be too easy. And Hunting for Solutions was an interesting episode as well because of that guest interview. It was the first time that we'd actually recorded a phone call to use as the special guest interview audio. Usually we set up something with Skype, we use a Skype recorder, and it's relatively easy to use. However, because of the network situation at our special guest's office, um, we weren't able to set up a reliable Skype call. So instead, I ended up using my cell phone and having that go into the recorder natively. And unfortunately, um, because of the way that Apple headphones work, they are both microphone and headset at the same time, which a handheld recorder is not prepared for. Um, so there was a lot of popping in the... Oh, it sounded terrible. Yeah, it, it was, was painful to listen to. Matter of fact, let's just play a sample of it right now. Okay, great. Um, real quick, um, this is... Obviously, audio like that is not acceptable to move on to the next phase. With all that incidental clicking and popping, um, we just we couldn't use something like that. However, I did know that Adobe Audition has the ability to detect certain waveform patterns and apply them across an entire clip. I've used this feature before to remove music from a clip, but I've never actually tried it with popping that was in the same vocal frequency range as the actual voice of the person. So I was a little unsure of what was going to happen, but we ended up training a model, um, kind of AI-esque in terms of how to remove this clip, and the end result I think speaks for itself. The governments of each country are always involved to an extent. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the fair thing there was Annie just sent me a message at some point. By the way, I programmed a neural network to clean up this audio. I hope you like it. I'm just, what on God's green earth did you do? Excuse me, what? <laughs> and just the idea that my technical director is programming AI to sort of help edit the podcast to me was absolutely ridiculous because... 
for me, I know just enough that our programs get the rough cut out, but I constantly need to go back to him, you know, go back to Andy and say, hey, can you help me do this? How do I do that? How do I make this not sound terrible? And the fact that I'm desperately struggling with some basic key combinations and he's programming neural networks to do this stuff kind of lets you know the skill disparity that we're working on here. Uh, but, you know, th that was a lot of fun. Read up, talk to people, write your congressman, talk to each other, and make sure you're actually informed about these issues. There is great potential for all of us to benefit wonderfully from this, but there's also equal potential for things to go in the opposite direction. I'm not a Luddite, none of us here are Luddites, but you have to, be, you have to understand that if you don't engage with this process, the process will continue on anyway. Live episode. This live episode was distinct because it was the first one where Andy did not need to spend 24 hours on site getting it ready and tearing it down. Yeah, that was a miracle. Um, for previous live episodes, I've essentially had to bring a sleeping bag to Open Grounds and stay there in order for me to get this put together in time. Um, Open Grounds did not have any tech infrastructure for live streaming there, so everything had to come from my apartment to Open Grounds, be set up, be tested, and then be ready to go, and then torn down following the live episode. And it was just a, it was a huge time investment for me. It was a lot of stress. It was a lot of getting things together. But we were so lucky this time to have the support of the Miller Center, which not only from as an institutional level, at a content level, was great to have. They have tech infrastructure ready to go. So we had some very minimal amounts of setup and teardown time that were required. It was a lot less work for me, and it allowed me to focus more on the media side of things, which is what I really enjoy. I'm creating quality promos and intros and making sure that the lower thirds are matching the content really well and that there's enough graphics to supplement what we're working with instead of being completely focused on how am I going to have the special guest hear the audio from the mics at the same time the people in the room and in the live stream are going to be able to do it. So it was a big relief in that sense. Day of, obviously, was still a lot of running around and getting it together, but this was a really really smooth live episode and I'm looking forward to continuing the partnership with the Miller Center that we have uh, to reduce that strain in the future. And from a content side of live episode it was a lot of fun too just because you know with uh, hunting for solutions finding the guest was really really easy for live episode finding a guest was really really hard and that's understandable because you know it's a live appearance you know there's a lot more work into kind of speaking with each other, going through research, presenting all that stuff to the guests, making sure that they're ready to go. But I think we must have emailed at least 10 to 12 experts. And finally, Dr. Hassan, who was absolutely wonderful. It could not have gotten better. You know, she was wonderful to work with. The content there was absolutely amazing. So I, I'm really, really thankful that the person who finally said yes was by far one of the best people we could possibly work with. But the weeks going into it, we spent about two or three weeks just trying to find somebody for the live episode. And, you know, it was, kind of, it was kind of coming to the 11th hour here of we need this, we need an expert to move forward on planning this. And at the last minute, you know, Dr. Hassan says that she can do it. And just at that point, it was magic, you know, going through every phase, kind of getting the research done, getting stuff prepared, talking to Anna and Emmy for the paneling work and actually doing it. I really, really, really enjoyed it. And I'm just really glad the Miller Center was there to provide this infrastructure so that I could focus on the content, make sure that everything was good to go. And I knew that the tech stuff, one, Andy got to sleep that week, uh, which in episodes past didn't quite happen. I think the story is that you went 36 hours without eating before Four and Lonely looking at a bagel and realizing that you were now allowed to eat. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. But also just 
being able to approach everything from the the logistics are going to work there's already a structure that we do not need to build ourselves just made it so much easier for everybody involved i was very glad that that was happening I think while there have been a few stories here and there about the president of Interball, about Fan Bingbing, about re-education camps, generally it hasn't made that much of a splash in Western media. And so if you look at the difference in the way that governments have responded to China's actions versus how they're responding now to Saudi Arabia's actions, I think the key difference comes down to China's economic and political clout in world affairs, generally speaking. Because Saudi Arabia, while still being a big player in global politics, does not match China on the level of economic scale and political scale. I think governments are very fearful of antagonizing the Chinese government, uh, especially when the opportunity cost is so great. Speaking of easy, that brings us into selective disappearances and selective attention from Derek. And that was another episode that I really enjoyed working on just because it, it flowed so wonderfully. You know, we had our meetings, we got the content we needed, and we got the structure figured out, but just the actual recording phase was so smooth just because Derek really knew how to hit points A, B, C, D, E, F onward without really stopping or stumbling or anything else like that. It was going so great until a freight train, probably the length of 15 football fields, was coming in behind us. And in, in our studio, we have this train track by our window, and it was just the longest train I've ever heard here. And I think we we're sitting there just staring at each other for about, what, five to ten minutes just waiting for it to go away? Yeah, it was awful. It was right when you guys were in the middle of your groove. And I hear this rumbling. And I wasn't sure if we were having an earthquake or what exactly was happening. Because I'd never heard a train through the headset before. But I realized that we had a train coming by. And obviously that was going to be a real pain. Because it wasn't even like a consistent sound. It was all sorts of rumbling and rattling that I would never have been able to remove and post reliably without compromising other parts of the sound. So we had to pause and wait for this train. I was going to be like, okay, this will just be, you know, a couple minutes here. The train will go by and then we'll keep going. But we were here for probably like five to ten minutes waiting for this train to go, just kind of staring at each other. Yeah, and I mean, we had some fun banter in there, but at a certain point, all of us just want to get the recording done so we can go on for our lives. And the fact that there's just this freight train hauling God knows what behind us, it's it was an interesting one. But I mean, by far, probably one of the least technically difficult episodes as well. I mean, I didn't screw up any of the audio. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember having to message you said, hey, Andy, aren't you proud of me? I used the Masters this time. And he probably regarded me the same way you regard a dog when he does a trick properly. But hey, you know, I'll, I'll take it. It's easier for all of us. Yeah, I mean, this was a good return to form for us, especially after coming down from the complexity of the live episode, which requires so much to get together. It was nice. This went really smoothly, and I thought we had a really great result at the end of it, being able to pull in multimedia and also just have a great conversation that, that sounded pretty engaging to our audience. While Greece is not exactly where it was before the crisis began, I feel like they've made significant progress digging themselves out of the hole. The more lasting effects, though, that may be seen from the crisis that can't be solved by any bailout package or austerity measure is that the, the morale among the people and how they may have trended more towards more extreme political parties is a cry against measures that they don't like. So this may be a cause of why we're seeing a rise in populism. Greece does remain economically fragile but and susceptible to crisis, but they definitely are not as poor off as they were a year ago, two years ago, etc. 
And speaking of things going well, that brings us into our episode from last week, Debt, Doubt, Delusion, The Greek Debt Crisis with Emma. And that episode went really, really well from start to finish. You know, the, the pre-production meetings were great. The interview was great. The recording was wonderful. The post-production, uh, we'll get into the post-production, but the real fun one about this one is that Emma got the interview for, what was it, 8 a.m. on Friday? So it was kind of, I uh, I was talking to her, and I clearly understand because, you know, the, uh, the interviewee was Professor Eric Jones was really, really great guy. Knew what he was doing, but was also on a different time zone. That's the only time that could work for him. So Emma messages me, says 8 a.m. Friday is fine. I do a double take. I confirm. And she, yes, it was indeed 8 a.m. on Friday. Um, I then had to pass this along to Andy. And I just, Andy, you weren't, you weren't excited about that, were you? I wasn't the most enthusiastic about waking up at 6 because you have to realize that there's so much setup required to get a Skype call recorded properly and so that everyone's you know, resourced well. We have to record the individual on the task cam and then we have to have an MP3 Skype recorder run on the computer and that requires updates and making sure that we're working correctly across zones and everyone has the right version of Skype and all that. So it does require a lot of setup. So waking up at six is something I probably haven't done since high school, but you know, I was I was willing to do it because the content was good and obviously it was the only time that was going to work because we had a guy Skyping in from across the other side of the world. So willing to make it work. But uh, no, not my preference from when to record. Yeah, I mean, waking up at six wasn't so fun for me. But I mean, we did it together. You know, Andy and I lived in the same apartment. So, we, you know, we got up, we got, you know, cleaned up, ready to go, went to go get, you know, some bagels for breakfast. I think gonna... I got ticket number five. I'm yeah. Close to one. I'm mm-hmm. probably gonna have to try that again for later. Yeah, no, just be able to sit down, blear at each other with bagels and then get into this library, which understandably was completely empty since it was 8 a.m. on a Friday. Uh it was kind of fun just sort of seeing what was going on around UVA in the middle of the morning on a Friday during a particularly uh, socially active week, uh, shall we say. And the only issue we had there was that there was construction going on the floor below us. And for whatever reason, we could hear a lot of the power tools through the ventilation system. So either there were some weird things going on in the first floor or somebody was actively in the AC system with a power drill. I don't know what, but there was this horrible drilling sound. Yeah, it was terrible. But thankfully, it was only happening during the parts of the recording where the special guest was speaking, which means that we could just delete the on-location audio from the final clip and you would never notice it. But I'll give you a sample of it right now. There's not a lot for back in 2010. You saw protests and graffiti against organizations like the IMF even though they're trying to and i'm not sure if that's my own fault just for picking that location but am i supposed to expect the construction sounds and people running around at 8 a.m in a library i don't think there's much that could have been anticipated but i'm happy it worked out the way it did it's funny reflecting on the season sort of as a whole from a technical standpoint i'm sort of a, a spiritual student of a guy named taryn von hemmert from linus media group up in canada and he publishes some videos about his video editing process and optimizations and how he saves time and and things that he does to to make his editing process faster. And I've I've definitely taken a lot of that to heart in, in the workflow that we use here at Global Inquirer, which I'm now starting to pass on uh, as we get ready to to hand off our positions in the future. But um, optimizations in editing and in recording um, those have been sort of guiding principles for this season and saving time and automating things, writing scripts to do things automatically. You know that's all been really important as as tenants of this season to try to make the podcast be able to stand on its own, minimize the amount of crazy over hour time that we have to put to make this happen and, and using our tech infrastructure and sort of that production mentality that uh, Taryn talks a lot about was really helpful. 
And really, it's been kind of interesting because as I think back, the majority of shortcomings and setbacks we had were my own fault. And that was kind of me using the wrong audio, putting the wrong thing at the wrong time. The work the researchers has put in, I have not had a single episode yet that has been difficult or unenjoyable. It's been a profoundly positive experience working with all these people, kind of getting their passions, getting their takes, and watching them go through the research, go through the interviews. I'm really only here to keep the timeline steady and sort of ask questions during the recording phase. A lot of this work is done by the researchers, and I think the results show they do a very, very good job of doing it. Yeah, and like I always say, um, from the technical standpoint, uh, we could have the best production set up in the world, but if we don't have the content right, we don't have anything, so... Really grateful to our research staff and to you, Nick, for, for delivering great content every week that we can then go ahead and produce. There wouldn't be a show if it wasn't for the great research that you guys do. Yeah, well, it won't be stopping this week. We're only around halfway through. We have a couple more episodes coming up for the rest of our season, so stay tuned for those. And that's all we have for this week. Thanks so much to Andy Colucio for sitting down, and thank you for listening as always. If you want more Global Inquired in your life, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on SoundCloud. And join us next week when I sit down with Sarah to discuss the impact of energy resources on defense policy. Thank you. We'll see you next week.